This will be back here for whoever needs it. You know, if you feel that, just come on up and celebrate something. Uh, I, that, that was a joke. Please don't do that. Uh, we don't have time. Um, yeah, so... Um, so good morning, church, um, uh, and I'm Ed. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I want to kind of give you a little bit of sort of context for what we're going to be celebrating this morning. Um, uh, uh, kind of like Matt said, so, so if you are new, if this is your first time here, every Sunday after this is going to be a huge letdown, I'll be honest, because we're going to celebrate and talk about really exciting, fun stuff, and then, you, and then after this, you'll just be like, people just get up, and the, these guys, they talk, you know, for a really long time, and it's a little too long sometimes, and most of the time, so um, I, I liked it when you guys did the celebration thing, um, so just know that you're in for a good Sunday. Um, the Bible tells us that, the, um, that in, the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts specifically, about the beginning of the church, and the church... Um, is this thing that is sort of created in Acts after Jesus dies and is resurrected, after the Holy Spirit comes upon the, uh, the disciples um, who become apostles, uh, these, this group of men and women, really, who have gathered together and um, are trying to figure out what in the world do we do now that we've been following Jesus and he has discipled us and we fully believe in and give ourselves for what he taught us to, to the kingdom of God itself. Um, but now what do we do? He was the one that did everything. He was the one that was like really accomplishing the significant things. We were just there. It felt like almost sort of sometimes participating, but watching him do it. What on earth are we going to do now? Well, um, what we read about in Acts is this incredible thing called the church that is birthed. What happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. Jesus said to them ahead of time, like, the Spirit's going to come. It's going to empower you to do things that are, that are greater than even what you've seen, which is probably, they probably just went in one ear right out the other when they heard it because they thought there's no way that's possible or how could that even happen? How could, how could we uh, be empowered to do things that are even greater than the things we've seen done? What we find is that there is this plan that God has. And the plan is that the good news of the gospel would be uh, proclaimed and would be spread throughout the entire world, and it would happen through people, through flawed, sinful, messed up people who were saved by the grace of Jesus, and that that would be called the church, and that this church would be led by Peter, and uh, there'd be several other people who would have a huge role in it, but eventually what would happen is there would be this thing that would ultimately lead us thousands of years down a road to where we sit today in this room. This was all started back then. When we say the gospel, uh, the good news of the gospel, that's why uh, we exist is this thing that Jesus gives his disciples called the Great Commission. He, he says to them, uh, he calls them, he commissions them and says, this is your purpose now. After he's resurrected, he comes to them and tells them this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to you. Um, he tells them to go out throughout the whole world, and this is to be their reason for being now. So the church exists first and foremost to worship God, really, because uh, we worship God in everything that we do. Anytime that we gather together, God ought to be worshiped because that ought to be something that we're doing even individually, uh, much less when we come together. But the mission of the church is to reach people, that there's all these people who haven't heard the good news of, the, of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. What do we mean with the gospel? Ellie just read the good news of the gospel to us out of Colossians. I want to read that 
little part of that again, uh, it, it, when, when, when we're hearing in Colossians, like what the people are supposed to do, what the church is supposed to do, it says they're supposed to give thanks, and starting in verse 12, it says what they're supposed to be giving thanks for. As you go living your lives as Christians, be people who are thankful above all else for this good news, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay. That is the good news of the gospel. That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Any amount of self-awareness at all, it doesn't take much, but there has to be a little bit, shows us that we are people who are broken and flawed. We are sinful, that the problem with the world isn't out there, that it is in here. And the good news is that Jesus has made a way for us to be with him. And so the disciples and the apostles are given this great commission to go out in this thing called the church. And so as we do that, we say we want to reach people with the good news of the gospel, and there is nothing better to celebrate, apart from God himself really, than when people come to hear this good news and they come to believe it, and they become a part of God's kingdom and a part of this family. There's nothing better to celebrate. So we care about people hearing that, and we have this, these things called evangelists, people that go out and they share the good news, they spread the good news, they, they, they do that. And so if, you were to, if I were to ask you, you know, what, what do you think of when I say uh, an evangelist? What do you think of, what comes to mind when I say an evangelist? You, you often uh, would think about a very specific kind of a thing. Uh, we did an evangelistic training sort of thing, uh, uh, and it was called Sending School. And in Sending School, it was the first thing we did is we got out uh, pieces of paper and crayons, and, and, and we, said, uh, we said, everybody draw a picture of an evangelist. And uh, you might not be surprised to know a lot of people, most people drew pictures of people standing up at sort of a podium-like thing. A lot of people tried to do their best Billy Graham drawing, you know, because that's the first thing that comes to mind for most people when they think about somebody who's an evangelist who's spreading the gospel. But that isn't necessarily true. Our understanding of what an evangelist is, a person who brings the good news, is, not, is, is often way too narrow, especially when you look at what happened in the Bible itself. One of the things about being a parent that can be challenging, you, you know this if you're ever around small children, whether they're your kids or not, is um, that uh, they often, I mean, they love to draw, they love to color, kids love to express themselves through art and creativity, but there's nothing like when a child brings you a picture and they show it to you, and they're so proud of it, and you love it. You say, this is great, and they say, look at what I did. Isn't this look great? And you say, yes, and then you realize, I have no idea what I'm looking at, right? And so you say these words that feel so painful and so horrible, and you're like, there's got to be some other way to say this, but I don't know how, so I'm just going to say it. What is it, right? And you think like, man, how does that feel, right, to like work on something and draw something and make something and give it to someone and then have them go, it looks so great. What did you draw? Because I can't tell what it is. Now, sometimes it's because they're not so great at drawing yet, and then you can't see all the details. A lot of times it's because kids draw super weird things, and you're just like, oh, it's a butterfly riding on a taco, and that is driving a car, and that's our family. And okay, our family right now is a bunch of cats, and they're peas that are in a pea pod that look more like balls in a sleeping bag or whatever. That's great. I love how you did this. I love how you got the hair right on that. I love that you're using so much color right now. That looks so great. And then you try to change the subject, right? right? You, you, we, when, when, when we think 
about uh, if I were to ask one of my kids to draw a picture of something, what they see in their mind and what they think of of that thing might not be what I think of with that thing. And that's one of the things that we like about when little kids draw stuff for us. They show us a different way of looking at things and thinking about things. It's a little bit freer with maybe some fewer of the presumptions that we have. In the very same way, when we sat down in this class and we started talking about what an evangelist is, we realized that we have this idea in our mind of what it looks like for a person to pursue the Great Commission, to share the gospel, and for people to respond to that thing. I've had a lot of people ask me uh, before, why don't we do more altar calls in church services? Why don't we have more people that come forward and respond to the gospel presented in that way? Uh, does that mean that we don't care about that? Does that mean that we don't, uh, that's not an important thing, that we're just running out of time? Uh, why is it that we do that? I often tell people the biggest reason why is because when we think of evangelism and reaching people with the good news of the gospel, we think of someone like Billy Graham or someone like me standing up and sharing that word to somebody. And, uh, and then people hearing it and going, yes, that sounds good to me. Where do I sign up? I just need an opportunity to close this deal today. But what many of us, if we really stop and think about the people that we know, the people around us, the people in our lives, what we encounter is our brothers and our sisters, our fathers and mothers, our sons and daughters, our neighbors and our friends have an idea of who Jesus is, have heard something about this thing called the gospel or this thing called the Bible, because we live in a country where people have access to that stuff. And a lot of people have been raised with a familiarity with that stuff. And so what we find is that really, and the reason why uh, it looks different to become even a believer now than it often used to is because the process looks different. We don't live in a world anymore in which people are reached with the gospel and responding primarily because someone like me shared it with them, because someone at a big crusade shared it with them. We live in a world in which people need to sit down and talk to each other about what they believe. You know this if you think about the people in your life. We need more than just to hear information and respond. We need to tell people our story. We need to hear their story. We need to share with people the objections that we have, why it doesn't make sense to us that this God of the Bible would be the way that we say that he is, or the things that have always made it difficult to trust in Jesus to begin with, or whether or not we believe in it at all. And that process is one not to be done by trained professionals and a few people, but to be done by everyone. And so what, have been, what has been exciting for us here and what we're going to spend this next while listening to is we wanted to share stories with you. We wanted to share stories with you of some people in our church and even outside the walls of our church who have come to faith in Christ, some for the first time, some who have, who have sort of been around the faith for a while, sort of on the fringes and the edges and kind of nodded heads and been like, yeah, that's okay with me, but never truly grasped it in a way that, owned it, that they owned it as their own. And some who have actually responded to the call to reach others with the good news of the gospel. Our, our, our vision, our mission as a church really doesn't ever change. It is that we're to be a place of missionaries, of people sent to reach those in our world who have yet to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time. Uh, first, I think Pastor Matt is going to be coming up, and he's going to share with us. Um, and uh, I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, so I'm literally just going to abruptly stop talking because, yeah, yeah, there we go. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> just, just awesome. Okay, Matt, here we go. Yeah. Oh, man. When Jake says what everybody's thinking. <laughs> um, so this is uh, admittedly, uh, as, we, as we've talked about this day and, and what to talk about this day, um, me and Ed, uh, usually the conversation begins with, so this is the thing we hate doing the most uh, because it, it feels, um, well, we've all been a part of churches. Uh, where it feels like an infomercial a lot of times. Let's get up and talk about how great we are and the things that we're doing and that sort of thing. And as I've heard churches, as I've heard pastors, as I've heard myself do that time and time again, point to things that we normally point to, talk about how numbers are growing, how we've had this many people at that or that many people showed up for that thing. The question that I find myself constantly asking is, but did it actually do anything? Sure, we had a lot of people show up. It was great to see all those people there. Was, there was energy in the room, but did it actually do anything? Um, I think the reason uh, that I asked myself that question is not simply because I'm a pessimist, uh, but also because that's what I see Scripture asking it. Uh, as we look at the Gospels and Jesus Christ and Jesus coming into contact with people, what is not celebrated in the Gospel is large numbers. In fact, it often talks about how the crowds, once they found out what Jesus was really about, turned away and went the other way. What is celebrated, what is pointed to, is movement. That people, individuals, went from this to that because of Jesus Christ. That Jesus calls people and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That you will go from being fishermen to fishers of men. That he would tell a mature believer that he has to be born again. To go from being self-sufficient to completely dependent. Maybe this is why we see in the Gospels over and over again that Jesus shies away from the crowds. And that the majority of the interactions that we see Christ having is one-on-one. -on -one. That even he said the reason for his miracles was so that people would believe. So that there would be movement. That they would go from this to that. Unbelief to belief. It's not showy, it's not flashy, it's hard to build a campaign around it because it's individual, it's small, it seems minuscule, and especially in our day and age in society of we want to be wild, we want to be a part of something, we want to be a part of a movement. And yet the question still persists, but did it actually do anything? This was the question that someone was asking that I was talking to, um, it's part of Chris and Lindsay's story. Uh, Lindsay was new to our church, uh, relatively new, right as COVID was starting, and so then COVID hit, and so everything got shut down, and so that was a really difficult time for people that didn't have connections within the church, like many of us have, that have been able to be a part of the church for a long time. And so uh, after trying for a while of getting Lindsay set up with somebody to just sit down and talk to her about where she was at and maybe what God was doing and talk about faith in her life, uh, having a really hard time finding someone to do that with her, someone said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll meet with her regularly and talk. And 
as we talked, as they were going through this time together, and I, I talked to this person that was just meeting with Lindsay, they kept saying, I just, I don't know if it's doing anything. It's hard for me to tell if there's anything going on. Um, what they didn't realize is, is that so much was going on in Lindsay's life. God was showing so much to her. God was doing so much in her heart that she would go home every night after they met, and she would talk to her husband, Chris, about what God was showing her, what God was saying to her. And after uh, a few weeks of this, uh, over a month of this, uh, Chris said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. Maybe I need to do this with someone as well. And so Chris, actually not even knowing Chris, reached out to us at the church and said, hey, I'd like to meet with somebody and talk to them about Jesus and just talk to them about faith and figure out what I believe. And so someone did that with Chris. And as they sat down with Chris the first time, uh, the first uh, meeting, they said, well, why do you want to do this? And he said, well, you know, truthfully, I have a daughter. She's four, and I just feel like she needs something like this. And so they started meeting, and they started talking. Things happened in Chris's life that from that point you would find inexplicable. That for someone that says, I'm in this for my daughter, that's a good place, that's a good desire to have. But I think we all know, I mean, hopefully we know that like that will take us only so far. And so to think that Chris, in, over the course of a summer, would come to a place of salvation would be, that'd be a big ask. That'd be kind of like the ultimate that God could maybe do, right? Three weeks in, sitting with Chris talking about repentance and, and, and asking Chris what he thinks repentance does in a life and repentance in Jesus and what does that afford you and what does that give you and him talking about all these things and saying how great it was and how attract, attractive it was, the question was asked to Chris, well, Chris, take your daughter out of the equation, take your wife out of the equation, take the family, take your work, take all this stuff out of the equation. Do you want that for yourself? And Chris said, for the first time in my life, yes, I do. And he gave his life to Jesus right there. That's a wow. Um, but then beyond that, coming to church, a family that had never come to church, the, 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 it, was, it was a struggle for them to come to church. What's more is Chris had a standing date with his father-in-law to fish on Sundays. Who wants to give that up? Chris came back the next week and talking to him, just the question of what's God showing you, what's God saying to you? Chris said, God's telling me and Lindsay, we need to come to church. So what's that going to take? Well, I think I need to talk to my father-in-law. He went back that week, talked to his father-in-law. His father-in-law said, you know what? I've been thinking the same thing. And Chris told him the, the reason why he felt like he needed to give that Sunday fishing trip up. And he said, I think it's because it's of Jesus and God wants us to be in church. And his father-in-law said, you know what? Maybe I need to start going to church too. That's pretty incredible. But then it was the next week talking to Chris and saying, what's God showing you? What's God doing to you? And he's saying, I, I think God wants me to go deeper. Wants me to go, well, what's that look like to you? I don't know a lot about it, but I think God might be talking to me about getting baptized. And so it was there at our baptism in that creek at Metzler Park this summer that both of Addie's parents, Chris and Lindsay, publicly committed their lives to Jesus. What's incredible about the story to me is not just simply that it's two lives that have been transformed, two lives that have been moved from this to that. It's the fact that this affects generations. Because scripture is true where it says that the choices we make for God will show themselves three and four generations down the line. I know that from my own life, that I can point to a decision that was made. And it's affected my parents, me, my kids. It will affect my grandkids. 
So when people ask Chris and Lindsay, well, how did your summer go? They can say, we changed the trajectory of our great-grandchildren because we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Did it actually do something? It did something beyond, I think, what many of us can imagine. Um, David's story is pretty similar, except for the fact that uh, David owns the uh, record for uh, taking the longest to go through follow. Um, he has an excuse. COVID happened. Uh, but uh, David also owns another uh, important record, and that is it took, his, it took him the shortest time to sign up for follow. You see, uh, it was, uh, again, a little bit before COVID. Uh, David's wife, Holly, uh, came to our church, and uh, David was on a hunting trip. And I was able to talk to Holly on her way out of church and uh, called her that week and uh, just to get to know her a little bit better and hear about their family. And uh, she told me, we, we need to be connected somewhere. We need to be plugged in. And I, so I talked to her and I said, you know, we have this thing called follow. It, it, it's, it, it's a nice thing to sit down with somebody and just talk about spiritual conversations. Talk about God. What do you believe? And she goes, you know what? That sounds like exactly something my husband needs. <laughs> I thought, well... I think most wives think that. I don't think most would say that, but okay. And so it was like a week later, I, I went and I met with them, and I talked to them about it, and surprisingly, David said, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, is it this easy? Like, I mean, come on. And so David started meeting with somebody and talking to them about these things. And uh, in the course of it, uh, it was uh, during one week, it was talking about all these things that David hoped he could be about her father, about her husband, about her co-worker, just somebody that was solid. And he said, man, I, I'm trying, but it's hard. And someone, the person meeting with him said, you know, those are all good things to want. But the thing about it is, is that what God's desire for us is that aside from those things, and he wants to help us with those, he wants us to be those things too. But what he wants us to want is to want him even if we didn't need his help with that other stuff. He wants us to want him just for him. And they asked him, they said, David, have you ever heard that? Has that ever been presented to you? And he said, no, I don't think it has. Not in that way. And so they kept talking. And they said, so what's next, David? Where do you go from here? And he goes, well, I guess I just need to keep trying harder, and he stopped himself, realizing what he was saying. He said, I guess actually what I need to do finally is to just let go and love Jesus. And he was asked, do you want to do that? And he said, yeah, I do, and he gave his life to Jesus. The amazing thing about David's story is it doesn't stop there. David uh, did a Bible study this year uh, with a couple guys, and uh, to see David uh, and how much he got into studying Scripture, reading commentaries, putting the other two to shame, week after week, getting done with it, saying, what can I read next? To the point that God was overwhelming him to such a degree that David started talking to people at his work about Jesus. A guy that he says isn't a believer, and they sit and they, they talk about, they don't really argue, but they talk about uh, belief and faith and all these different things. And he's told this guy, he says, you're a believer, you just don't know it yet. <laughs> I was talking to him about it, he says, he'll get there, don't worry. David has not just gone from belief, unbelief to belief, but David's gone from belief to helping others see that. To such a degree that when he was reminding his family that he was going to get baptized and that he wanted them all to be there, his son, seeing how much, how real it is to his dad, said, Dad, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be a pastor. Generations changed. Is it actually doing something? Yes, it is. We've seen people go from apathy to ownership. 
People saying things like, you know what I've realized in my marriage, in my life as a father and a husband, I've been pretty apathetic. I've actually been really good at being a Pharisee with my family. That I've been really good at holding them to the letter of the law, but I have not shown grace, I have not shown love, and I want Christ help, to help me to do that. Troy reached out um, about a year ago, right, Troy? Uh, well, a little over a year ago, and said, you know what? I feel like I'm just wasting time. I, I know that there are these things in my life that I need to do. My, my parents were believers. It's real to them. They're in church every week. And, and so I know I should be doing more, but I feel like I'm wasting time. And so I, there's these things I need to do. And as we were talking to him, he said, he said, you know what? Maybe you just need to meet with somebody and talk to them about God and about faith. And so I reached out to someone and Dale Gehring said yes, he's there in the picture. He's sitting in front of Troy. You guys can turn and hug. I don't, you know, let you guys do your thing. Um, Troy got baptized this summer as a result of them getting together and talking about these things. But in talking to Troy, you would think for someone that kind of showed up and said, you know, there's stuff I need to do, he would say, I've done it. I, 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 I've, I've sat down, I've talked to somebody about this. I know it's real to me. I got baptized. I showed other people it's real to me. Troy now says, but there's so much more to be done because I'm realizing and seeing what it's like to live a life in Jesus Christ. That the, step, the next step that you take just opens up yourself to a whole new world of possibilities and grace. Troy says where before he felt like he was just wasting time, that there is now a clarity and a weight lifted in his life. Because he doesn't know necessarily what all the next steps are, but he knows he's moving in the direction of Jesus. And he's walking toward Jesus. And Troy's going to be part of our membership class next week because he says it's the next thing. It's the next thing. It's the next way that God wants him to be Engage. It's the next way that God wants him to grow, but that's not even the end of it because there's just so much more to living a life with Jesus Christ. Um, many of you know Doug Hepler, and we, uh, we celebrated Doug's life about a month ago, and it's been hard uh, to just even still think that Doug is gone. Uh, but I can remember a day that I was frustrated with Doug because I was trying to get Doug to go through follow, and I just could not get Doug to go through follow. And, uh, and so finally, against my better judgment, I asked uh, some of Doug and Vicky's friends, Bob and Teresa Pulford, uh, to uh, take them through follow. And uh, I say against my better judgment because I've found that uh, it's usually better to sit down with somebody you don't know super well to talk about these things than somebody you know super well because guess what? things can get derailed uh, pretty easily. And so uh, I, I asked Bob and Teresa to do it, and I said, do you guys think you can stay on track? Do you think you can kind of keep things focused? Do you think you can keep things moving? And they said, yeah, we'll try. And then found out that they were meeting for like three hours and stuff, and it's like, it doesn't sound like you're doing that. And it was at uh, Doug's memorial service that uh, him and Ed uh, were standing, uh, Bob and Ed were standing and talking, and Bob just mentioned to Ed out of the blue, he said, I'm so glad we were able to go through follow with them. It's at this point that you normally say, well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. As somebody that just passed away, thank goodness we were able to spend that kind of time with them. The thing that you know about Bob and Doug when you learn about their relationship, they were spending that kind of time together all the time. They would have been having deep, meaningful conversations together all the time, but... 
because of what it is that they were doing, because God was moving them in this direction, one of the things that came about when I asked Bob and Teresa, so why is it that it was so important for you guys to spend this kind of time with them? They said it's because as Doug and Vicki shared the thing that was constantly on their heart that we heard about at Doug's memorial service, the question of am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I not wasting my time? Am I serving him, giving to him everything I could? Bob said, we would always be talking about just how blessed we felt, that we had been unconditionally blessed by God. All the things that he'd given us, family, wives, material possessions, well beyond what we probably should have. That question kept popping up time and time again. Bob and Teresa said, we are so thankful that we went through follow with them. Because in them asking that question and constantly bringing the conversation back to that, we have decided and we've committed that as we're entering this next stage of our life, as we're getting to retirement in a time when we would normally say, this is for us, we've done our part, we want to give our retirement to God and be used by him. I don't want to scare you too much. But for Bob and Teresa, their stories, they've gone from one where they're on the cusp of kicking back and taking it easy, and they've moved to being disciple makers for Jesus. These are the things that we've been seeing. These are just a few of them. And even with these stories, the amazing thing is, is that there are people on the other side of it that we're not even telling their story, that they have felt God's call to step into something that they don't feel qualified for themselves. They say, you know what, if he wants to use me, I'm willing to be used. And the way God has worked in people in that way is incredible. And I am so thankful for how he has used it. And so when I get done telling these stories, I know I don't have to ask the question, yeah, but did it do anything? Because of course it did. Because we've seen how God has been moving people closer to him and deeper in the life of Jesus. Um, when we, we've talked over the last few years about the significance, the underestimated significance of sitting down with another person and just talking about Jesus. And that once we actually try to do it with our friends even, people that Doug and, uh, Doug and Bob were college roommates, went back a little ways, uh, or with people that we know don't know at all, that it's a lot harder than we think it often is going to be to just talk about this Jesus that we believe in, this faith that we have in God. And when we hear these stories and we see these things that we celebrate, it is, it is a reminder to all of us of the significance, the, the, the huge value. When Matt says, you know, does it work? Do these things work? It isn't just a particular study. It isn't just a particular type of program or thing that we do. It's any time that we, the people of the church, take the time and make the time in our lives to sit down and actually ask another person some questions that might seem a little bit personal and be willing to share with vulnerability the things from our own lives that we may not have always been so comfortable sharing. Um, I want to invite up Justin, um, our youth pastor, and uh, he's going to share some stuff with you guys as well. Well, good morning, church. Um, so I'm just going to continue to talk about um, kind of the thread that Matt started on uh, and just kind of tell you a little bit about the stories of our 
um, just salvation experiences in the church, but then specifically just focus on uh, how we are doing that in the youth group. And so, um, you know, a youth group can pretty quickly kind of become a place that uh, it's just a gathering area where kids have fun and go home and, and no real life change ever happens. And so um, I, it, this might surprise you, I actually didn't go to seminary just to throw dodgeballs at kids, right? <laughs> um, but what I want to see happen, what we want to see happen, happen in the youth ministry is, is real life change. To see teenagers in, in pretty vulnerable moments of their lives in these, uh, the, these stages where they're kind of formulating some thoughts for the first time or in, in trying to figure out what they want to do in life or what they think they want to do in life. Um, and so for us, um, it's entirely about seeing teenagers make life-changing decisions, even as a young, as a young person, um, that is going to hopefully affect um, the rest of their lives. Um, having conversations with kids, sitting across the table with them, and just asking them questions of, of faith and, and why they believe. Um, and so, uh, first up, we have uh, AJ's. I'm sorry, these pictures are terrible. Uh, <laughs> they came off my iPhone, and this was actually kind of the same day. There's, there's two different stories. Uh, none of this was planned, uh, and so that's why these are just terrible iPhone pictures. Um, they're not the fancy pictures that Matt had, you know. Um, but this is AJ. AJ started coming to our youth group about two, two and a half years ago. The first time that AJ came to our youth group, he, it was through an invitation from a friend, and he shows up, and the way youth group goes is we have worship, we have teaching, and then the kids go to small groups, and so AJ goes to small groups, and, and then they leave, and then basically I always kind of check in with the small group leaders. I'm like, hey, how was your discussion? How was it? How were the questions? How were the kids? Uh, and I believe it was actually Steve Morrill. Uh, I asked him, I said, hey, how, how did you, how'd a group go? You know, how was the new kid, AJ, uh, the redhead? And he goes, yeah, it was good. He was, he, he immediately said, I'm agnostic. And Steve was like, and it was, it was kind of awkward, but it was cool. But he was so chill about it. Uh, and AJ just made very clear um, that he was just here to hang out. Little did he know, I had a plan. <laughs> but he was just here to hang out. He was just, you know, he, he had a good time. And I, I thank God um, because at that moment when he decided to continue to come back, I realized that we had an environment that welcomed unbelievers, non-believers, that we weren't just a Christian kid club playing dodgeball. And AJ continued to come back, and when I say it was a slow turtle progress, it really was. There was no, I mean, he would, he would engage, he would have conversations, but he would always end with, eh, I don't think so. Or, I don't really care. Or, I don't really think I believe that. He's very much a skeptic. And so, what ended up happening is we had... Um, 
We have our first summer camp that AJ was a, a part of. AJ continued to come back. He even signed up for camp. And as we all know, summer camp can play significant moments in our life. Um, but what ended up happening is at summer camp, AJ, we basically, we, we saw a miracle happen. We saw a healing happen um, in, in a girl from our sister church at Mountain View. Um, something miraculous happened, and I don't have time to get into it. Um, but it got AJ's attention, and AJ just started pacing back and forth for like an hour and was like, how is this possible? It doesn't make sense. He's processing. He's trying to figure it out. How is this possible? And then finally, he just come, came and found me and, and Joey, and he said, I'm ready to believe. I, I have no other option. <laughs> I, I, I have to. And it was at that moment that he accepted Christ, and it was incredible. So then we continue this journey with AJ. He said, well, what comes next? Because I really don't know. <laughs> I said, well, baptism comes next. Well, what is baptism? Well, let's have a conversation. So we continued to talk, and AJ actually, uh, for almost a year, kind of went through this process of, of not necessarily wanting to get baptized, but because he, he told me, he's like, I want to read the whole Bible before I get baptized. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> like, let's, let's take a little bit more realistic approach. So let's maybe start here and, and just through this journey. So then what happened on this day is uh, almost a year later from AJ's salvation, um, he came up to me at the beach. You know, we were just on a beach trip, a fun trip, you know, with the youth group. And he said, Justin, I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, do we have to do it in the Pacific Ocean? <laughs> but he said, I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And so with the whole youth group there, with his, with his mom on, on FaceTime, because his mom wasn't there, with, with our interns, uh, we made the cold journey out into the ocean. Um, and it was right then that AJ got baptized. What happened, though, so this kind of leads me, and AJ, AJ graduated this past year. Uh, AJ's at George Fox uh, as, a, as a freshman. Um, he is walking in faith. He is leading Bible studies. He led numerous Bible studies. I didn't even ask him to lead a Bible study. He was leading Bible studies for his friends. Um, and is just a kid who, as a new believer, um, is just completely on fire for God. Um, but what AJ did after his baptism, this leads me into my next story, is uh, we had a girl coming to youth group, and she, again, she's been coming a little bit less, maybe a year, year and a half. Uh, her name is Natalie, and Natalie was at the beach trip, um, and Natalie had been attending and, and was a non-believer, uh, just coming again because it was, it was fun, you know, uh, having a good time, making connections. She came on a hike. She came on uh, just these different things that, we, that I kind of do to engage people past the, the group that we have. But it was at this beach trip that Natalie, um, she, she, she saw what unfolded with AJ, and she was like, what just happened? And she was talking to one of our, in, our summer interns, and, and then what happened is she, 
AJ came, came up to her after he got baptized, and she said, hey, will you explain to me what just happened? And AJ was like, well, yeah. And so AJ begins to literally share the gospel with Natalie immediately after his baptism. And then about an hour later, Natalie comes up to me with our fellow intern and with AJ. And Natalie says, Justin, I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and she said, I'm ready, I'm ready to follow God. And so we went through about the mistakes she felt. She, she was like, you know, I just I have a lot of baggage. I have a lot of history. I have a lot of sin. I have a lot of unworthiness of, of what she was classifying as unworthiness. And I was able to tell Natalie, none of that matters because of the gospel. And she said, I'm, I'm ready to start walking in that truth. And so we ended up praying right there with AJ, with an intern, with different people present. And, and Natalie be, started walking with God then. And she's been coming ever since. So at this moment, she, what, what's really cool that happened here is she actually was like, well, maybe I should get baptized. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, we can. We can. But, you know, this is significant. You know, there's a lot of people maybe we can talk to. And so she, Natalie, she, she has a very, very strong family culture. Um, but they're all kind of spread out. And she's, you know, she's lived a couple different places. And they're from Salem. They're from Woodburn. They're just kind of all spread out. But family is very important to Natalie. And so she, on that day, she ended up, she said, you know, I think I just want to wait to see if I can get some of my family here. And I said, that's awesome, Natalie. That is totally fine. So come about three, three, four months later, um, Natalie had a birthday party at, at Rita's house. And it just turned out all of her family was coming. And she said, hey, I think I have all of my family going to be in one place at one time. Can we do a baptism on Sunday night? And I said, sure, absolutely. And so we have youth group that night, and, and they're having their thing. And when I, when I thought of family, I thought, you know, 10, 20 people. Um, I get the baptistry ready, and I have youth group going down, and so kind of doing, wearing a lot of different hats, running a lot of different places. So I get everything set up in here, and I text Natalie and Rita. I said, hey, everything's ready. We'll just meet you in the sanctuary. And then I go down to the youth room and I kind of, you know, wrangle all the kids. You know, you know how it is, you know, just get a rope and just kind of, you, you cast a net on them and just drag them. Um, and we said, hey, we, we got to go down to the sanctuary. We're going to have a baptism for now. Like, oh, okay. So when I walked in, almost all of this room was full with Natalie's family. I mean, this whole section here and about half of this section here. And then when the youth group came in, we basically filled up the rest of the room. And I, yeah, yeah. And I remember just being overwhelmed with, one, just thankfulness, gratefulness in all of what God was doing. But then, two, just being overwhelmed by the people in this room that were all here because of Natalie's decision to follow God. And she had so much family. I don't know how they all fit at Rita's house. Um, and there, it, was, it was an incredible experience. And so Natalie got to share with her family, who a lot of them are non-believers, and share with them that despite my past, despite my mistakes, despite whatever has happened in my life, 
I'm a follower of God. I'm loved by God, and I'm following him. And we got to baptize her in front of her family. It was incredible. I'm not really going to, really, this picture here, it says the story of camp. Um, I guess it really should say the story of our youth group. It's just, those are pictures from camp this past summer. One of the things that I'm most proud of um, about our youth group is that, and I've, I've already kind of touched on this, is that we are a group and a place where non-believers feel comfortable continuing to come back. Even though truth, the gospel, is preached, um, and it's through relationships, it's through small groups, it's through connections that these kids are continuing to come. Um, the reason I show you this picture, and, and this is a picture from middle school camp and a picture from high school camp, is um, we have a lot of kids coming, but I'm not, I am proud of to say we have a lot of kids coming, but what I'm more proud of, what I'm more humbled by is I would say of this group combined together, a third to half of them are non-believers, are unchurched. They don't have a church home. They came to camp with us. They come on a regular basis. They're hearing truth. They're hearing the gospel. Relationships are being created or being fostered. They're being pointed towards Jesus. They're being pointed towards walking with God. And it's an incredible thing that's been happening in our youth group. Um, and so I guess that's a pitch if you have youth group. If you have youth, send them to youth group. Uh, 5.30 tonight. Uh, and so we're going to transition back to Ed. Thank you. Imagine we were going to fit another half into something like this, right? You're like, yeah, good call, guys. Like we said, there was a lot of things. There is a lot of things to talk about and to celebrate. I think um, it is incredibly exciting to hear about people coming to faith, to hear about people owning their faith and being discipled. People, uh, what is also incredibly exciting and something worth celebrating at a church is merely, even just when God is speaking to those to the people of the church, that, that we, that he is speaking to us and leading us and guiding us to do some of these things and that we are hearing him and listening to him and being able to respond and step out in faith. It's not something to take for granted because God speaks more often than we think. We're often unwilling to listen or afraid to take the steps that he calls us to. Uh, the, the last thing that we want to kind of do this morning before we spend some more time as worship is um, we want to, um, well, I'm trying to think of the best way. I'll just say this. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit of Raylene's story, and then um, we're going to pray for Raylene and her family, and it'll make a little bit of sense as she goes. How about that? So, Raylene, everybody, our children's pastor. Thank you, Jacob. I always like hearing Jacob's voice. It makes me feel like somebody's excited. Good morning. Uh, the kids this morning in children's ministry are learning about how God always loves us and gives us a special purpose. Um, now, I didn't realize that as I was getting ready for church this morning until I went in and wrote that up on the one of the boards to get the, all the teachers ready to go and didn't realize how fitting it was for my story this morning. 
God always loves us, and he has a special purpose for us. Today we're celebrating. Matt and Justin, thank you for, for sharing those stories. To be able to celebrate what God does in people's lives is such an exciting thing for a pastor to do, to be able to see how God's working. Today I celebrate that God is the author of my story. I love books. Our house is full of books. Um, our back room is overloading to where I've got boxes of books that are not in bookshelves. I've got to get rid of some of them. As an elementary teacher and uh, somebody that's been in children's ministry for several years, I have uh, kids' books. I have grown-up books. I have fiction books. I have college books, uh, but they're pretty much kind of run our life right now. Different books have held memories and a special place in my heart with different times in my life. As a kid, those little golden books, stories about what Jesus did, like saved or, or rescued Lazarus and made the lame man walk. I remember those from my childhood. From uh, early teens, I remember the Jeanette Oat books and uh, historical Christian historical fiction were some of my favorite. As a parent, an early parent, I remember the books about Adam and Eve and the no-no fruit. That was about as much scripture as I got when I had little kids. Um, recently, it's been college texts as I've been um, adding to my uh, education in, as a crazy person. Um, oftentimes, every time I come up and say, hey, I want to get a degree, and Dan just goes, geez, again? Um, <laughs> books almost always, especially fiction books, almost always follow the same pattern. You meet the characters. You get to know the setting and the plot. Then comes the exciting part. It comes the problem or the antagonist is introduced in the book. And most books, especially kids' books, always have the same sort of ending. The problem gets worked out. The antagonist gets put in their place and everybody learns a valuable lesson or lives happily ever after. I've had seasons in my life where I've wanted to take these kind of books and chuck them out the window. Because we've all had those chapters in our life that didn't end the way you wanted them to. I often try to take the pen from God and write my own story. <laughs> so it's my turn, God. I'm just going to tell you how this chapter is going to go. July 27th of 2005, Dan and I's book took a very different turn. Our beautiful son, who was just born, was nine months old, began having seizures. We spent the next five months in hospitals and in doctor's office and getting blood draws and trying new meds. In July, we found out that nobody knew what was going on with Simon and, and nobody knew what was causing the seizures. All we did know is that he was developmentally delayed and that he was not going to be normal. Taking my book at that time, I kind of had to just take the book and, and just stick it away. And it was at that time that the only thing I could do was to pull out a new book and say, God, I can't write right now. It's yours. And the years to follow, being able to lean on God and let him write that story. When I look back at the story he's written since my son was born, I see his hand in every page of that book. Shortly after I resigned teaching, thinking I'd never go back into the classroom again, 
Pastor Sue called and said, hey, I need somebody in children's ministry. Would you pray about it? And at the time, we were literally in the doctor's office four days a week getting blood draws. I was about to have my second child. And my first thought to Pastor Sue was, are you kidding me? But I prayed about it, like she said. And God said, trust me, Raylene, just trust me. And so I jumped on board. I worked with Sue uh, from 2005 until 2016, 2017. And I got to be part of children's Sunday school. I got to be part of VBS. I got to be part of Wednesday evenings. I got to be part of summer ministry. I got to learn things that God needed me to learn. Now, during that time, I decided at some point I was going to take that pen away. And I was going to say, okay, God, maybe Simon is special needs because you want me to be in ministry and not in the public school. So I started writing my own book again. Um, I went to seminary um, for a few terms and realized that that's not possible with three small children. So we decided to put that pen down and walk away um, and see where God was taking it again. I uh, was searching at that time for where does my story go? Where does it land? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And then Cheryl Hell called me and said, hey, I have a job for you. Let's go back into the public school. And so then again, that, that was my time to just go, okay, God, this story has got lots of twists and turns, and I don't know where it's going. But I was willing to just say, go. So I got back into the public school, stepped back into the classroom, and then our church began to go through transitions. Not just transitions, but there wasn't as many kids in children's ministry anymore. And so having my position really didn't make any sense. But I was okay with that because God was opening up doors in the school. So as one chapter closed, other chapters were opening, and it was leading me back into the public school. And I was willing to go because if that's where God wanted me, then God take me there. And in public schools, I can still be God's love. I can still help kids feel welcome and worthy and valuable. And so as I went through that, I began to take the pen and write my chapter again. And I uh, went back and got a behavior analyst degree. Um, I do work in John McLaughlin Elementary as a behavior analyst. No, as a behavior specialist with a behavior analyst degree. Um, and I also wanted to go into leadership because I really want to see education learn how to open their arms and embrace kids meet them where they're at, and help them grow. So I got my principal license as well. And so this last year, Oregon City School District opened up 11 new admin positions in elementary. We got five new elementary principals and six vice principals that have, we've never had that in the school district before. So here I'm thinking, I've been in the district for several years, people understand my background, they know my passion for behavior, and so that's where we're gonna go. There's 11 positions. I absolutely have to get one. I got the pin in my hand again. Um, <laughs> during that process, I get a text from Pastor Ed. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, no kids are going to church. We haven't gone to church because we are afraid of bringing our 17-year-old our son that's got special needs. Children's ministry was the farthest thing from my mind. I'm just following God and going into to educational leadership. The text from Pastor Ed said, when all of these admin positions fall through, it wasn't that bad, but that's what I interpreted, right? So when all of these admin positions fall through, would you be consider being children's pastor? So now, 
my, that twist in that story is back, right? And so my first response was, are you kidding me? Really? So I said, I can't answer you right now. And a couple months went by and I applied for jobs and I interviewed for jobs and I was in the running for jobs. And I'm working on both of my behavior, my behavior degree and my principal degree. And I think I know where my story is taking me. And then I began getting the phone calls. I'm sorry, but we didn't choose you. I'm sorry, but we didn't choose you. I'm sorry, but we didn't choose you. And the whole time, of course, I'm praying because I don't know what God's doing because it's all a big mess right now in Oregon City School District. Um, it's better now, but in the spring it was a mess when we were trying to figure out COVID and, and our schools opening and who's doing what. So in the midst of my praying, I again hear that voice that says, Raylene, trust me. And so I got the last call, Raylene, you're not ready to be a vice principal or a principal yet. And of course I'm heartbroken because that was the story I just wrote myself. That was the way my chapter was supposed to end. So again, I gave God the pen back and I called Ed over to Gaffney and I said, hey, come paint some boards with me. Ellie was the one that designed them and painted them at Gaffney and somebody had decided to graffiti over them so we needed to repaint them. So Ed joined me at Gaffney and I said, tell me what this looks like. Tell me what your vision is. Tell me um, what's going on in the church. Share with me. And as we shared, I very plainly heard God say, Raylene, it's time. So I followed that and I said, as we walked out, I said, yes, this is what God has for me. Now I go back and I read a little bit of that story that God wrote and I see that's what he was doing. All of those things in my life, those, those twists, those turns, those weird things that I think, why am I doing this? God is showing me why. And the first time I walked in and in August as children's pastor, I felt one of the biggest moments of peace that I think I've ever felt in my life. And am happy and excited to celebrate God being my author. I'm ready for the rest of the book. Now, does that mean I'm never going to try to take that pen away from him? No, I'll probably try to write my own story at some point, even though I keep learning that that's not mine, it's his. But today I celebrate God being my author. And I celebrate the chance to be the children's pastor at this church. My vision for children's ministry is the same as our pastors that have shared. I want every single child that walks in these doors, regardless of whether they've heard about Jesus or not, to feel his love and feel welcome. I want every child, no matter what ability or disability they have, to find a place to fit here. I want every child, whether they behave well or whether they run around like a crazy butterfly that you have to catch. I'll go borrow Justin's net. Maybe that'll help. Um, but I want them all to find a place here and to find that love of God and to begin that journey with him. Thanks, really. I did go back and look, and it was as bad as, as the text it was. I didn't do a good job. I didn't do a good job there. Um, I want to invite up the Gilmore family, actually, who are going to love this. I'm sure you guys can demask as you come up here. Um, the, uh, because this morning, we want to commission Raylene and her family as they begin this ministry. We talked about this a little bit, went to first announce the church that uh, here, come into the light, guys. Um, 
come into the light. Spent a lot of time in the light. I <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, um, you know, I mean, Raylene and Dan, Raylene's always said, like, this is really something for our, that our entire family is a part of together. We do ministry together as a family. This isn't just a thing that one person comes and does. And I think the Gilmores were some of the first people that we met. We were coming in to get our photo over the photo directory. <laughs> And I think you guys were leaving. Um, and we met them, and, um, and uh, Raylene would go on to even be one of our kids' teachers. And I think we could just tell that they both loved the Lord and loved, um, loved the church, and well, then also loved the lost, and I think loved our schools. And so we were like so profoundly excited that Raylene is our children's pastor, that her entire family is here being used by God, and that, and that how crazy is it the way that he writes these stories if we just let him and and hear his voice and respond to his call. So would you do me a favor? We're gonna just pray for their family, commission them. If you just put your hands out like this, and I'm gonna, and that's, that's how the power works, I guess. And then we'll, we'll send them off, and then we'll get up, and we'll, our worship team will come up, and we'll worship together and close this out today. Oh, Father, we are so grateful. God, we're so grateful for the Gilmores, and your hand in their life and the life of their family. God, thank you for, for Simon and for bringing him into this family as their first child. And that as that changed the course of their plans, God, you knew what you were doing. And you have used Simon and their entire family, Lord, to steer and direct them into the path of so many whose lives they have changed and shaped, God. Lord, we know that you love the children of this city, the children of this church. And we pray for the Gilmore family that you would empower them, that your Holy Spirit would come and empower them, Father, as they work together as a family, reaching out to these children, showing them that they're loved, showing them that they're accepted, and showing them that they're a part of your family, God. Lord, the things that we do are just things that we do without the power of your Holy Spirit, God. They would be in vain if it wasn't for you making them work and preparing the hearts of the families that would come and the children that would come. So, Father, we also pray that your Holy Spirit would just prepare the hearts of these children, that you would move and work in their lives, just as we've heard about you doing with many of the people who came to faith in this church in this last year. God, would you uniquely use the gifts of each member of this family um, working together as the body of Christ, would you help us know how we can encourage and support them and empower their ministry as well? And would you help us to maybe not be so quick to uh, say no when we're asked to volunteer, God? <laughs> God, you're so good, and we praise you, and we thank you for what you're doing here and in this family. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, why don't we stand together? You know, hopefully, as we've been sharing stories, the thing I was thinking about, and hopefully you were thinking about too, is these are stories, not of the things that, that we're doing, not of work that we're doing on our own, but actually the work that God is doing in the lives of people. And so that's what we get to celebrate, and we get to lift our voices and do it.